Friends, welcome to another episode of Leadosophy. Today's show, I'm going to be Frank. I'm going to be Tim, but I'm being Frank. Today's show is going to be dense. We're going to talk about the art of dialogue, the difference between dialogue and discussion. We're going to quickly review what we've been talking about between the open mind, closed mind, how it applies to leadership, and then how it applies to the art of the conversation. We're going to introduce a book, The Fifth Discipline by Peter Senge, and a, an American scientist, David Bohm. The late David Bohm passed away in 1992, but he was also a philosopher. And Peter Senge uh, relies on some ideas from, from Bohm and his ideas on dialogue, and that's what we're going to tie into this episode and put a bow on this open mind, closed mind discussion and, and move on. I think we've, uh, this is about the fourth episode, but it's important. That's why we've been talking about it for, for a few episodes now. So, hope you enjoy the show. Here we go. Are you ready to permanently fuse leadership and philosophy? Then a word of caution. You are about to enter the fully abstract yet wholly concrete realm of leadosophy. Our ideas are not always so clear and distinct. To validate this proposition, we welcome the host of Leadosophy, Tim Wood. All right, friends, welcome back to Leadosophy. Today's show, in the spirit of Cousin Eddie from Christmas Vacation, got a real nice surprise. Just a real nice su- surprise, Clark. Sorry, that's my, uh, that's Ghost Kid like that, that joke. Ghost Kid like that Christmas vacation joke and Cousin cousin Eddie quote. You know, some of you may not know about me. I was a paranormal investigator in a previous lifetime. I did some paranormal investigating on Long Island for about, eh, about six months or so. It's always been a really huge kind of underlying hobby of mine. You're always a little leery telling people that, but now I'm telling everyone in public, so I guess it really doesn't matter. But you know, some people think you're kind of weird. And I think I am probably a little weird. But I think it's really I think skeptics make the best paranormal investigators. People who are skeptic of the supernatural, the metaphysical. So I think I've in the spirit of that, I've always been a little skeptical of ghosts whether they exist or do not exist, which is a whole nother fundamental question in itself. But anyways, so yeah, paranormal investigator, Tim opening the door to some of, some of Tim's hobbies. All right, here we go. So I want to talk about the difference between dialogue and discussion. I want to get that out of the way right off the bat. And I'm going to use Peter Senge's book, the fifth discipline, the art and practice of the learning organization, Peter Senge, uh, Peter Senji is a, he's a system scientist, senior lecturer at MIT. I'm still lectures, still speaks publicly all over the world, I believe. But he wrote this book and we studied this book. Uh, it was one of the courses we, we had in, at Gonzaga. And Peter Senji re- talks about David Bohm, who we're going to watch a couple YouTube clips, David Bohm's ideas on dialogue and how When a group comes together in dialogue, the conversation can go deeper, 
understanding can go deeper, more learning can occur than if you just stayed on the surface of a general discussion. So I'm going to read David, uh, David Bohm's ideas that Peter Singy talks about in, in Peter's book. Peter writes, Bohm, David Bohm, points out that the word discussion has the same root as percussion and concussion. It suggests something like a ping pong game where we are hitting the ball back and forth between us. In such a game, the subject of common interest may be analyzed and dissected from many points of view provided by those who take part. Clearly, this can be useful. Yet the purpose of a game is normally to win. And in this case, winning means to have one's views accepted by the group. You might occasionally accept part of another person's view in order to strengthen your own, but you fundamentally want your view to prevail. A sustained emphasis on winning is not compatible. However, with giving first priority to coherence and truth, Bohm suggests that what is needed to bring about such a change of priorities is dialogue, which is different, which is a different mode of communication. Peter continues. By contrast with discussion, the word dialogue comes from the Greek dialogos. Dia means through, logos means the word, or more broadly, the meaning. Bohm suggests that the original meaning of dialogue was the meaning passing or moving through, a free flow of meaning between people in the sense of a stream that flows between two banks. In dialogue, Bohm contends, a group accesses a larger pool of common meaning which cannot be accessed individually. The whole organizes the parts rather than trying to pull the parts into the whole. The purpose of a dialogue is to go beyond any one individual's understanding. We are not trying to win in a dialogue. We all win. So there you go. That's uh, right out of Peter Senge's book, Peter Senge's book, The Fifth Discipline. He's teasing Bohm a little bit. I'm teasing Bohm a little bit because I had a couple of YouTube clips where Bohm talk, talks about this idea of dialogue, some of the key characteristics. And before I play the video, what Bohm is talking about in this, it's a sit-down interview. I think it's probably in the 1970s, might have been the 80s. The audio quality is a little grainy. But Bohm is talking about dialogue in, in larger group settings. Sometimes, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 people. So I want you to, as you're listening to the David Bohm clips, I want you to think about how can I apply this in my normal day-to-day conversations, whether it's one-on-one, whether, you know, maybe it's a, a family discussion or maybe it's a team discussion at work amongst coworkers, amongst peers, between managers and, and those who are managed or led. And I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of parts we can pull from dialogue, characteristics of dialogue that we can apply in our everyday lives. Some of what Bohm talks about may seem a little unrealistic in the day-to-day course of leadership. He's going to talk about walking into a dialogue or a conversation where nobody has any agendas, right? Everyone suspends all assumptions, all judgments. I don't know if that's necessarily practical in the day-to-day grind of leadership. You know, if, if you're a leader or a manager and you're having a team meeting, how do you walk into that team meeting and not have any fixed agendas? 
And we'll talk about that a little bit more when I talk about the meta conversation, meta conversation. We're going to introduce that here after we talk about Bohm. So I'm going to play these two clips. I'm going to stop after the first clip, kind of give my thoughts on it, some thoughts from Leadosophy's perspective. We'll play the second clip, and then we'll wrap this up with some thoughts on dialogue versus discussion, the meta conversation, and the process of thought versus the contents of our thought. Okay, here we go. Here's David Bohm being interviewed. In many ways, our whole society and culture is structured on the opposite of what you're suggesting. The kinds of ways we come together frequently are with set agendas. and Yes. Uh, I mean, even the places where we're supposed to have real dialogue and uh, I think of the arms negotiations and that kind of thing, it's really two agendas and there's no real discussion of our openness to ideas and putting aside one's own position in many ways. No, that's true. You see that we can't see it in, in, the, in the dialogue. We can't have these fixed agendas. It's part of our cultural tradition that there's no point in meeting unless you have some fixed purpose and then two sides have two different purposes that can't meet, right? I mean, it's see, almost like you're rational to do that. Yeah, what? To get together without an agenda. No, that's the only rational way. You see that if you have an agenda, then you can never explore anything new. You see, that's only within the limits of your agenda, which come from your fixed assumptions, right? Now, the two sides start from different assumptions, and therefore they really have different agendas, though they claim to have the same one. (laughs) Okay, so not having any agendas. I wrote some thoughts down. And I just want to read the thoughts that I, that I had because I wanted to capture them. I wanted to capture them as I had them when I, when I heard this the first time. And I've listened to that probably four or five times now. So I'm not, I'm not sure an agenda-less frame of mind is possible in most leadership scenarios. And I, and I say that this requires, I think, further discussion beyond what we're doing here. What of agendas? I'm, I'm skeptical of rigid agendas unless the problem is urgent, but even urgency. And when I say urgency, I mean, again, we're talking perceived urgency or is there real urgency? But even urgency must be fleshed out through dialogue and the examination, examination of our assumptions. One person's idea of an urgent problem might not, might not be urgent to someone else. And even further, another person might not even see a problem. So there's a difference between coming together to learn and understand to deepen our meaning versus coming together to fix a problem, right? So I, th- I think when, it, when, you're, when you're in a leadership role and you're having a discussion with your team or you're leading a team project or you're getting your group together, a, a group of people together to talk about a, a certain process issue you may have, um, maybe there's a system failure. Maybe you have an organizational culture issue, maybe a deeper problem. I think from an agenda perspective, I think it's important for the group to understand, you know, what's our goal here? Are we here to learn from one another, to deepen our understanding of our, of our issue, of our problem, our organizational problem, our perceived problem? Are we, or are we here specifically to fix a problem? And I think from an agenda standpoint, that transparency needs to be out there. The leader needs to make sure that full transparency about why, why the group is together is known to everybody, right? 
I think that's important because if you don't have that, then you're going to continually have cross connection, cross wires and thought between different group members. Everyone may come in with their own separate agendas. And if everyone has a separate agenda, what is really going to get accomplished? Right? So that's, that's my first thought on, on Bohm's idea on when he talks about no agendas. I don't think that's necessarily possible when leadership and, and teams come together. I don't think that's, and I don't know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that more. Uh, maybe you want to think on it and, or ruminate, ruminate on that a little more. Okay, here's the next clip, and this will be the last one. Hope you enjoy it. By the way, this I'll put the link to this video on YouTube. It's 54 minutes long. It's really good. It's titled Essential Reality. So just one last nugget on David Bohm. He was a theoretical physicist, but he was also a philosopher. So what I really think is cool about that is he had this complete science, black and white frame of mind in some aspects. And then he had this really abstract talking about essential reality, philosophy of mind type thing on, you know, on the other side. So I kind of like when, when philosophers are also scientists, because, you know, I like to think their, their mind is open to be able to go back and forth between those completely different subjects. But there is a philosophy of science, by the way. All right, that's enough. Here we go. David Bohm, last clip. Here we go. David, continuing with the process of dialogue or the idea of dialogue, there's a possibility here of creating a new kind of community, isn't there? Yes. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Well, I think that if uh, people can go into this process of dialogue and uh, face their uh, difference of uh, you know, thought and opinion and get through that so they can all look at it all together and think together, then there will be a different kind of uh, mind. Uh, well, first of all, I think I've said that uh, uh, there will be a sense of participation, a sense of fellowship, a different feeling. And there will be a liberation of intelligence. You see, this present approach of adversarial approach of uh, you know of opposition blocks intelligence. Each person is just sticking to his view, not really listening to the other one, and just trying to repeating or finding new arguments or possibly finding a few points in common. But uh, there's no real opportunity there for creative intelligence. Now, when uh, when all these uh, special points of view are suspended, then the mind is open to move in creative intelligence. Now, therefore, it's a combination of a different feeling and a creative intelligence. Uh, so, uh, a mind in which everybody is thinking together because all the everybody is holding all the different points of view and in suspension. What do you think about that? Some, some dense material in there from a leadership standpoint, right? We talk about this, the art of conversation. And, you know, I, I was writing some thoughts down for, for my blog yesterday. And I was very adamant that leadosophy is, I didn't start leadosophy to, to make other people great leaders. That's not why I did it. I'm not giving you the 10 best tips to be a great leader. It's not what we do here. 
We are here to deepen our understanding of leadership through conversation. A lot of this conversation right now is me formulating my thoughts publicly. Down the road, we're going to get into more interviews. I got one next week. I think it's going to be really good. But one thing I do know from a leadership standpoint is that leadership is all about human relationships. Without a relationship, a minimum of one-on-one, you have no leadership. There's no such thing. And I believe leaders succeed or fail largely on their ability to communicate effectively. Now, we can all look at different definitions of effective communications. But at a minimum, this idea of being able to communicate within groups, small groups, large groups, I don't think it matters. This ability to communicate, to get ideas across, to be able to take other people's ideas, to listen. Listening is a big part of communicating. To listen to other people. To synthesize different ideas. Collective intelligence, collective learning. I think that's really important. Again, I'm not saying that that's the number one, that's your number one tip or the best tip you can have to be a great leader. Not what I'm saying. All I'm talking about is, is communication has to be an extremely important part of leadership. And I think communicating effectively is a skill we can develop. Even if you know, you're introverted, you're shy, whatever, even those people, And I'm like that. I'm introvert. I'm an introvert. I have a tendency to be shy. Forcing yourself into uncomfortable situations where you have to communicate. Maybe you do that in small doses and you build. I believe that increases your effectiveness, your leadership effectiveness over time. Again, it's a skill. Communicating is a skill. It's an art and a skill that you can develop. So again, Here's a question for you as a leader, when you're together with a group of people, do you believe there is a creative intelligence, a collective mind that can develop through the spirit of dialogue as you're trying to solve a problem, as you're trying to find, develop a new mission, vision, or or, um, set of values, you're trying to work on your values as an organization? Is there a right or wrong answer? Are you coming into that discussion about what is our organization's vision? Are you coming into that discussion with your own idea of what the vision should be? And when you come into that discussion, when you have your mind made up of what the organization's vision should be, any anyone else's vision that doesn't run through that frame, through your frame of, of thinking you're going to reject most likely out of hand, right? That's back to the closed mind versus open mind. Some final thoughts I want to put on this discussion of the open mind versus closed mind. And then we'll wrap it up. I, I talk about this idea called the meta conversation. Meta mean, meaning above, going above, right? It's like the conversation about the conversation. How many times have you finish the conversation with somebody. Maybe you're sitting in your office or you're sitting at home or you're in your car and you're, and you're thinking, you know what? I, I wish I'd have handled that differently. I wish I would have, would have listened more. I wish I wouldn't have rejected Jim's idea right off, right off the bat. 
That's a meta conversation. That's a conversation about the conversation. How many times have you war gamed, right? You've played out a conversation before it happened. Maybe you have an issue with your manager and you're trying to figure out how to approach the manager and you play different scenarios or versions of this conversation out in your head. Questions you're going to ask. How he or she's going to respond to the questions. Thinking right off the bat that he or she might be closed-minded to some of your ideas or to your critical feedback. Again, this is a meta conversation. This is a conversation about the conversation. What I'm advocating from more of an open mind standpoint is with when you are, before you go into a conversation with a team, and again, this is, this is life, right? This is not just leadership. This is life stuff too. Maybe this is a conversation you have with a spouse or your teenage son, whatever it might be. It's a frame of mind. What's your frame of mind going into this conversation? Again, do you have an agenda? Are you convinced that your conclusions are correct? Are you convinced that you have all the correct information and the other person does not have all the correct information? If this is your mindset going into the conversation, the conversation is already devalued a little bit. You're already going into this conversation in a way where whatever, there's going to be certain information you receive that doesn't fit your mental model and you're going to reject it out of hand just because it doesn't fit your set of, of information, your set of facts. And I use facts kind of loosely. We think we have the facts. Are they really facts? I don't know. So this is, again, your frame of mind going in, right? This is a conversation you have with yourself before you go into the actual conversation. Being mindful, right, as the leader, being mindful of when you may need the closed mind. The last episode I talked about the four times where a closed mind may be necessary. What were they? Time, pressure, sensitivity. Sometimes I don't, we or I don't have enough time to take in volumes of information. My mind can only be so open. We have to make a decision. There is a sense of urgency, and that urgency is real, right? talked about the knowledge, perception, and intuition. Sometimes I just eventually have the intuitive feeling that I have the best information because I have been doing this longer. I am more competent. I have more experience. I've listened to everyone else in the room. Okay, I'm going to make a decision. I feel I'm in the best place to make the decision. You know what? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong in the end. But I was put here. I was put in this position of leadership to decide to act. The other, the third time where we may need to close mind was when I talked about the system and organization processes may dictate that my mind be closed, whether I'm getting advice or feedback from my boss that says, Hey, this is the, this is the direction we're going. Roger that this is the direction we're going. Sometimes the processes, if they're broken, will force you into a certain decision until you can fix that process. And again, Fix the process, not the people. The people are beholden to the processes. You can try to fix people all day long, but it won't fix your broken processes. Fixing the processes will fix what the people do. Right? So time, pressure, sensitivity, knowledge, perception, intuition, system, organizational processes. And the last 
area that will force you to have a closed mind, which is probably a good thing in survival. There are certain time-honored survival techniques that just work. You don't need to have an open mind about it. Building a fire, building shelter, whatever it might be. Okay, so evaluate that need before you go into a conversation of whether, is this a closed-minded situation? Is it dictating this? Or can, can my mind be a little more open? We talked about the frames of, of mind going in. Understand the difference between content of thought and the process of thought. The contents of your thought is real time within the conversation with someone else. Your ideas, your beliefs, your assumptions, the questions you're asking, those are all the contents of thought that are going on in the conversation in the moment. Process of thought is thinking more about what are my assumptions? Do I have a conclusion here that is potentially false? Am I listening? Did I just dismiss Nancy's idea because I don't like her personality? These are conversations about the conversation at the meta level, right? That's the process of thought. As a leader, in, this, in the spirit of dialogue and trying to keep an open mind, asking questions about the conversation, questions to yourself may kind of help shake loose the, the closed mind a little bit. I believe you should seek falsifying information to your conclusions or your theories. Seek information that messes with your mental model a little bit, gives you that mental tension. You don't like to hear it because it doesn't fit your worldview. That's a good thing. I think if you can live in that space for just, even if it's a few minutes, play around in that space where you get that cognitive tension because you're hearing information you didn't like to hear. That's fun. That that helps you grow as a communicator, as a leader developing the open mind. And then lastly, the meta conversation, right? The conversation about the conversation. You can have this meta conversation before you have a dialogue with one or many. You can do this kind of every once in a while within the conversation, maybe a mental cue that you have to remind yourself to question your assumptions or maybe listen a little little deeper to extract the meaning. And then obviously in reflection, in reflection. So that's it. That was a, I think that's, that's enough for this episode. A pretty dense discussion versus dialogue. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on if you've had a dialogue, if you prefer to live in the world of, of the discussion level. Maybe you don't see really a, a difference. Maybe you don't see a practical use for dialogue in the workplace as a leader. Those are all fair, those are all fair questions, and we can dive deeper another time. I think we should continue the discussion on dialogue at some other point because there's some really good nuggets in, in the Fifth Discipline book by Peter Senji. And again, I encourage you to check out David Bohm. All right, friends, remember, leadosophy is about using the tools of philosophical thought to deepen our understanding of leadership. Thanks for watching. Thanks for watching and listening to another episode of Leadosophy. If you liked what you heard today, hit that subscribe button and check out leadosophy.com and learn more about Tim's ideas on philosophy and leadership. We'll see you next time.